Welcome to Hope Chapel's Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. And we also want to invite you to join us in person at a worship service Friday at 7, Saturday at 6, or Sunday mornings at 9 or 11. Now, if you've glanced at your notes, you know that I'm talking about debt this morning, okay? And a number of people have asked me, but well, what about the debt from owning a house or buying a house, mortgage debt? We're talking about largely what, we're, what could be described as, as uh, unsecured debt, credit card debt, uh, purchases that people make. Uh, but no, we're not talking about mortgage that's, that's a secured debt secured by the property, okay? So just understand that. I want to put you at ease. Anybody's thinking, oh my, oh my, oh my, I'm in debt to a house. Well, hopefully you can pay for the house, okay? <laughs> All right, so turn to First Chronicles chapter 29. I want to start there. We were there last week. I just want to rehearse a couple things with you. First Chronicles 29, as we saw that last week, the context is David has just received a tremendous offering from the Israelites, and that offering was purposed for the building of the temple in Jerusalem. And at the end of this chapter, he gives God praise and thanks him uh, for God's grace and provision for them. So read along with me. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Now he's referencing the offering. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So David is praising God, and he's acknowledging God, but also he's acknowledging the, the fact that God is sovereign over everything. He is sovereign over everything. Now, before you get nervous about this, understand that there are two dynamics that go on simultaneously. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. We get into trouble when we try to resolve those. You have to hold both of those in tension. You can't resolve the two. If God is sovereign, how can man be responsible? If man is responsible, how can God be sovereign? Both are true. It's called an antinomy. And I know people, this trips people up all the time. For our purposes this morning, we realize and acknowledge the sovereignty of God, just as David does also. So this is, a, this is an incredibly important truth, vitally important truth, to acknowledge and to integrate into our understanding if you're a little wobbly on this, just know God is absolutely sovereign over every detail. He has a plan and a purpose. The Bible says that it's good, pleasing, and perfect. Isn't that encouraging? Yes. Now, 
Last time, we considered three lies that sound like the truth, but they're not the truth, they're lies. The first one is all the church talks about is money, when in fact the church doesn't talk enough about money. And and as a result, there are far too many Christians who are ill-equipped and uh, don't understand how best to uh, address the issue of money. And we're going to talk about debt this morning. The second lie is that money and things can satisfy us. Sounds like the truth, but it's not the truth. It's a lie. Money and things cannot truly satisfy. There's only one person that can truly satisfy, and that is the Lord himself. The third lie, it's my money and I can do whatever I want with it. Really? Whose money is it? It's God's money. See, these are, these are lies that we easily fall into, easily believe, and easily grow up with. Until your eyes are open and you become a believer, now you know God's word, and you see that, hey, it's not my money to do with whatever I want. It's God's money, and I'm to what? Be an excellent steward over what he's entrusted to me. So we looked at three lies that sound like the truth, but they're not, they're lies. And then we consider three truths that sound like lies, but they're not lies, they are the truth. Number one, God is the one who determines how much money I have. It's God who determines that. Some people pound their chest and say, no, 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 it's me. Mm, It's God. Trust me, it's God. The second truth is God has the power to dry up my source of income without a moment's notice. He can do that. We saw an indication in the Old Testament with Nebuchadnezzar where he did that very clearly. The third truth, giving to God is the only way out of my financial problems. If you're not giving to God, you have financial problems, you need to start giving. That's the only way out. You can can rationalize, you can come up with all sorts of strategies and plans, but if you're not giving to God, those financial problems will continue, even get worse. Now, if we're to be faithful stewards, then it's essential, critical for us, to have this understanding and acknowledge the sovereignty of God, not only in our finances, but in every other area of our life. He is absolutely sovereign. Absolutely. Now, that being true, I want to go to, go to this issue of debt. And I want to talk about debt, and more particularly the subtlety of debt. It's a very subtle thing. Whenever you read a credit application, I promise you, you'll never see the word debt on the credit application. They conveniently leave that word out. But debt is subtle, and we have to be careful. God's will for us, I I submit to you, is that we be debt-free people. We be debt-free. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God enumerates all the blessings that will accrue to Israel if they obey him. If you obey me, I'll bless you. If you obey me, I'll bless you. And you read the chapter, and it's just just blessing after blessing after blessing. Now, 
the obedience is very simply, God says, do it my way. I've set the whole thing up. I know how it works. Go this way, not that way. So God has designed into life blessings accrue to us when we walk after him. And in the last verses of that uh, chapter 28, we read this. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. Is that an awesome promise? God says, okay, and, and the, it, it's, it's a direct, the context is to Israel, but the principle is true for all of us. We're not living in the ancient, uh, Midi, in, uh, ancient East, and those passages were not members of Israel, but nonetheless, the principle contained in that passage still applies to us. We want to know the principle, extract it out of that context, and apply it to our lives. Does that make sense? And so very simply, the principle is do it God's way. Honor God. Put him first, and he'll, he'll make you the top, not the bottom. Isn't that exciting? And notice it talks about debt in that passage. God does not want his people to be in debt. He would rather they be lenders and not borrowers. Isn't that an amazing thought? Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 37. It says, The righteous are always generous, lending freely. They lend freely. And then he goes on and he says, Their children will be blessed. The idea is generosity. If you grow up in a home where your parents are generous people, you see them gracious with other people, that rubs off on you. You absorb that. If you grow up in a home that's just the opposite, your chances are you're going to grow up to be a stingy person too. That's what you learned. That's what you saw. That's what you experienced. So parents, if you want your children to be blessed, what should you do? Be generous. Right? Be, be righteous. In Psalm 112, good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Again, you see that same principle. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, love your enemies and do good to them. Okay. Then he gives a specific example of what he's talking about. He says, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Whoa. You think he's serious about that? Yes, he absolutely is. He says, then, now notice this, then you will, he will reward you. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. How many are glad that he was kind to you. <laughs> the un we could care less, care less about him until he came and shed his kindness upon us. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to what? Love one another. We can never pay that debt off. We're continually in debt to each other, and that debt is a debt of love. So I think it's very clear. God does not want us to be in debt. 
He wants us to be lenders, if you will, instead of borrowers. And unfortunately, today in our country, a great number of Christians are seriously and severely in debt. God says, I want you to be free so that you can lend to many and borrow from none. So this is something I think that everyone needs to get into our heads. We need to truly come to a place where we hate debt. Now, there's probably most of you are not in debt because you're well taught here, right? So you know this stuff, no debt. But we're called to make disciples, are we not? And part of making disciples is to teach that other person how a Christian lives. We're to teach them what, what true spirituality is all about. That includes the material stuff that God has entrusted to us. That includes money. So when we're discipling people, that's an area you do not want to ignore, okay? You don't want to be super spiritual. You want to say, all right, let's talk about money. Let's talk about debt. Let's talk about your stewardship over these things in your life. So if we're discipling somebody, this is an area that you want to make sure you have a good grasp of. Just imagine what it would be like if all of us were totally out of debt. Just think, if you're in debt right now, in serious debt, what would it be like to be totally free, totally out of debt? Think about that. You would have, you'd be free to give as much as you wanted to God. Your, your income isn't already predetermined to something or someone. You could help other people, no problem. You could put money into savings and start earning interest rather than paying interest. You could even take a vacation, maybe fix up the house. Heck, maybe even buy a house if you're debt-free and you're saving and you're putting money away. Think of what we could do as a church. If every Christian, not just ours, but every Christian was debt-free and investing in the kingdom of God, do you think that we could, we could make a tremendous impact in this world and this culture? Absolutely. Sponsoring, supporting missionaries, sponsoring, supporting evangelists, people out there just bringing, bringing the sheep in, if you will. Tremendous. Larry Burkett wrote a book called Debt-Free Living. And in it, he says this, quote, regardless of how it seems today, debt is not normal in any economy. And yet our economy, we bought into debt, haven't we? We're, we're, it's crazy. And so because the government is deeply in debt. You and I, we're deeply in debt that way. We think we follow the government and we think, well, I can be in debt too. He goes on, he says, debt is not normal in any economy and should not be normal for God's people. We live in a debt-ridden society that is now virtually dependent on a constant expansion of credit to keep the economy going. You're seeing that happen right now. We are 20 plus trillion dollars in debt. That's an astronomical number. You can't even comprehend uh, what 20 plus trillion dollars is. It's just unbelievable. But we're, we're dependent on this expansion of credit just to keep the economy going. You've got to keep borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. 
You've got to keep doing that to keep things moving. That's the sad condition of our country. He says, this is uh, a symptom of a society no longer willing to follow God's design and God's instructions. And you see that reflected in our society today. Isn't it sad? The devil leads us into debt so he can keep us in bondage and keep us from doing some great, great things for God. Great and mighty things for the kingdom. So that requires that we have a right attitude about debt. And we need to learn some biblical principles. So if you're instructing somebody, if you're discipling somebody, these are some important principles to know and to share with them. First of all, going into debt makes you a servant to someone else other than God. Your accruing debt makes you a servant to someone else other than God. Listen to Proverbs 22. Now remember, Proverbs is wisdom literature. You want to be wise, read Proverbs. Study Proverbs, memorize Proverbs. They're, they're there to make us wise. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Jesus said this, we cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. When you borrow, instead of God being our Lord, and God being our boss, someone else is Lord, and they're going to call the shots. Number two, it's clearly a sin if you borrow and do not repay. Psalm 37, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. The reason the righteous can give generously is that they are not in debt. That's right. Number three, the Bible warns that it's better not to go into debt. Proverbs 17, a man lacking in judgment strikes hands in pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. Now that proverb, it seems to be describing a man who goes into debt for his neighbor. But the verse literally translated says, the man lacking in judgment, strikes hands in pledge, makes an agreement for debt in the presence of his neighbor. So it's not describing one who goes into debt necessarily for his neighbor. It's one who goes into debt in the presence of his neighbor. I don't know about you, but if I was in debt, I would not, my I would not want my neighbor to know how badly in debt I am. If he's to know anything, I want him to know that I'm debt free. Wouldn't you? Number four, the longest term of debt God's people took on was seven years. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1, God says, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Wow, is that not great? At the end of every seven years. Verse 2, he goes on, he says, every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. I think that's interesting. God doesn't say that he should have never made the loan in the first place, but he does say now is the time to what? To cancel it. The Bible doesn't actually forbid borrowing. It doesn't actually forbid debt, but the Bible does say 
there's a whole lot better way to live without debt. Number five, you are not in control of your future. That may come as a surprise to some. We're not in control of our future. Listen to what James says, James chapter four. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I amend every, almost every sense with Lord willing. People say, hey, see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Lord willing. You have to acknowledge that we're not in control of our future. And we're not in control of our future. We don't know that we're going to live and make more money to pay off that debt that we've incurred. You just don't know. While you have time, what should you do? Pay off your debts. Become debt free. Number six, when you go into debt, you're asking someone else other than God to meet your needs. Wow. In Philippians chapter four, the apostle Paul writes to them. And he says to them that my God shall meet all your needs in Christ Jesus, according to his glory. Now, you think that's a, just a blanket promise that anybody can hold on to? Or is it dependent on something? Well, you have to know that the Philippians were among the Macedonian churches that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember, Paul's taking up an offering and he's going to all the Gentile churches. And the Philippians, amongst the other Macedonian churches, pleaded, pleaded with Paul to partake in that, to, to contribute to the offering. And he says, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. And so you could very well think that the Philippians would be going, man, we, we just gave it all. We gave it all. What's, what about us? What's going to happen to us? And Paul, in his letter back to them, says to them, no, no, don't worry. My God shall meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. Number seven. When you go into debt and mortgage your future, you affect your whole family. Proverbs 11. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. So I think it's pretty clear. Debt is not a good thing, and it does not represent God's perfect will for us. Would you agree? So to help us understand, um, have a right attitude about debt, think this way. Debt. Dumb explanation for buying things. And if you have to use debt, you think you have to use debt to buy something, think of these words. Don't even buy that. I looked up the word debt in the thesaurus. 
And listen to the synonyms that the thesaurus gives us. Obligation, encumbrance, in the red, pound of flesh, arrears, inability to pay, built, bound, beholden, up to one's ears, over one's head, mortgaged to the hilt, in the poverty trap, unable to keep the wolf from the door, hard up, beaten down, financially embarrassed, strapped, stripped, fleeced, busted. Debt is not a good thing. You know there's only five things you can do with money? You can give it, you can save it, you can invest it, you can lend it, or you can spend it. So why blow it by getting into debt and having and losing it through paying interest to somebody else? Makes no sense at all. Now, someone might be sitting out there and saying, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I could ever, ever get out of debt. Can anybody get out of debt? Absolutely. Regardless of who you are, regardless of how much debt you have, you can get out of debt. But you have to really want to. That has to rise to the top of your want to list. You have to want to get out of debt. You have to be serious about getting out of debt. So how does one get out of debt? I have some suggestions. Number one, you have to make an irrevocable promise to get out of debt. You make that promise first to God, then you make it to yourself. Then you announce that to other people in your life who you trust and you will allow them to hold you accountable. You make this irrevocable, I am not going to stay in debt. I am getting out of debt. You make that irrevocable promise. Secondly, don't take on any more debt. That makes sense? That's it. I'm not borrowing another thing. If you have to use debt to buy something, to buy anything, what should you say to yourself? Don't even buy that. That's right. Very good. Number three, put God first in your giving. Put God first in your giving. That means a minimum of the first 10% back to God. That's described as first fruits. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Again, wisdom literature. This, this is a wise thing to do. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now remember, that's an agrarian culture, a farming culture, and so they're going to use language that addresses that. But again, the principle, what's the principle? The principle is first fruits. I'm going to give the Lord the first part of what he's given me. That's off the gross or the net? That's off the gross. Very good. Very good. If you're not doing that, if you're not doing that, guess what you're guilty of? Robbing God. For the life of me, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine someone who, was, who would willingly rob God. That's not a good thing. 
In Malachi chapter 3, we read this. Will a man rob God? Whoa. Is there such a thing as that? God says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? Say it with me. In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, the whole tithe wasn't just 10%. We talked about the whole tithe. It was closer to 23%. There were three separate uh, uh, tithes that the Israelites to bring. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. The only place in the Bible where God says to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That is, what an incredible promise. What an incredible promise. Number four, develop a written plan. What do we call that written plan? A budget. I talk to more people who do not have a budget. They don't live on a budget. They're not good stewards over what God has entrusted to them. And when you don't have a budget, it just comes and goes, doesn't it? Money sprouts wings, says Proverbs. It can fly away. You've got to account for every single penny. Have a budget. Number five, set an attainable time frame to get out of debt. Larry Burkett says that most people could be out of debt if they really wanted to in seven years. Isn't that amazing? You can do that. You can even pay off your house. We doubled and tripled our house payments because we wanted to pay that house off as quickly as we could so we'd have more money to be able to give away. And we'd help other people. If seven years is unre unrealistic to you, set a time frame that's realistic. Write it down. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on the mirror, every place you can that you have a time frame within which to work, you are getting out of debt. Number six, you need to maybe adjust your lifestyle. I heard Dave Ramsey on the radio the other day. He was coaching some people who were in debt. And he said, he said with respect to eating out, he says, the only reason you go to a restaurant is because that's your second job. I thought, that's pretty good. No more eating out. If you're in debt and you're serious about paying off your debt, no more eating out. No more eating out. Rice and beans. I'm serious. Rice and beans. You can do it. What about shopping? If you're serious about getting out of debt, should you go shopping? No. No. You don't go shopping for extra goods and stuff. I love going to Costco. How many know Costco? You heard of that? You go to Costco, you go to Costco, you go in for one or two items. You have to really be disciplined to not come out with your basket full of things. Just going up and down there, ooh, that way, ooh, ooh. You may need to downsize. I talked to a man last night who's, who's downsizing, moving, 
can't afford uh, to live where he's living. Lots of people can't afford it. I talked to a couple last week who just moved here from the Midwest. They're experiencing sticker shock. The price of houses. The husband said to me, do you know, do you know what, where we came from? Do you know what we could get for half a million dollars? We get a mansion on, on acreage. He said, we can't even get into Gardena for half a million dollars. That's not a knock on Gardena. It's just the problem. You can't, people can't afford to live here. This is, a, this is the land of fruits and nuts. You know that. <laughs> this is a crazy place. California, it's just nuts. You may need to downsize. We've had people in our church move, move out of the area, move to another state, because they saw no way that they could afford to live here. That was just really what was going on. And don't think that God can't use you if you have to move. Number seven, begin to systematically pay off all of your debts. You start with the smallest debt first. You pour as much money into that debt to pay that smallest debt off. And then once that's paid off, you take that money and the next amount of money that you're paying the next debt off and you, you, put, you put those together, you pay that next debt off. And you take all that amount of money and you pay the next debt off. You keep snowballing that until you have all your debts paid. Beloved, we should be committed to be a debt-free people. And when we're discipling people, we should be committed to encouraging them to be a debt-free people. We should be willing to raise up an army of people who are absolutely, completely, and permanently debt-free. Would you agree with me? And we can do it. With God's help and for His glory, we can be debt-free. I believe there's no question that God wants us out of debt, and I believe there's no question God is willing to do whatever it takes to get us out of debt. He's already provided an avenue. And I know that because you and I entered this world with a debt of sin, did we not? And God knew that wasn't good. And so he sent his son to pay that debt, a debt we could never, ever pay in order that we might be free. John says, so if the son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. There's no freedom. There is no freedom and certainly no feeling in the world like being free from the debt of sin. When you realize that, all the guilt is gone, sin is gone, you've been cleansed, you've been washed clean, you're a new creation, there is nothing like that when you realize what God has done for you. He has set you free and paid your debt. And the next best feeling is to be free from the debts of this world. But we have, to, we have to be committed to that. And once we are, God will help us. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your purpose. We thank you for your design. We thank you, Lord, that if we walk in your ways, you'll make our path straight. Your word says to us to trust you with all of our heart, leaning not on our own understanding, but acknowledge you in all of our ways, and Lord, you would make our path straight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. Fathers, we come to this table 
We come with gratitude in our hearts. We come humbly. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way in us this morning. Search our hearts. If there's any wrong, hurtful way in us, Lord, convict us of those things that we might repent and come with clean hands. We give you thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, we want to thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.